Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. Welcome to another podcast at SlyesOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers, Local 139. Also, Madison Teamsters, Local 695. Joining us now, John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. Brother Nichols, good morning. Brother Sly, good morning. All right, so let me uh, play this setup piece. This is uh, coverage of Justice Breyer going to the White House yesterday and making the formal announcement. President Biden today walking into the Roosevelt Room with retiring Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer for an historic announcement. His first chance to nominate someone to the court. But first, the president celebrating Breyer for his nearly 28 years on the bench. He has patiently sought common ground and built consensus, seeking to bring the court together. I think he's a model public servant in a time of great division in this country. The liberal-leaning justice known for his respect for his fellow justices, regardless of their viewpoints. Breyer has always maintained the court is not a place for politics. Today, sharing wise words from his mother. No, as you well know, this is a complicated country. There are more than 330 million people, and my mother used to say it's every race, it's every religion, and she would emphasize this, and it's every point of view possible. It's a kind of miracle. When you sit there and see all those people in front of you, 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 people that are so different in what they think, and yet they've decided to help solve their major differences under law. The president now promising his nominee will uphold Breyer's legacy, and he's vowing to fulfill his campaign pledge to nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court. person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. The president announcing he'll make his decision known before the end of February. Biden not releasing any names so far, but tonight the front runner is believed to be Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, a graduate of Harvard and a former law clerk for Breyer. Here he is swearing Jackson into the district court in 2013. Jackson has also already gone through the Senate confirmation process, earning the support of three Republican senators when she was appointed to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. It is the beauty and the majesty of this country that someone who comes from a background like mine could find herself in this position. Also thought to be on the shortlist, Judge Leandra Kruger of the California Supreme Court, a graduate of Harvard and Yale. She's argued 12 cases before the court. 
And Judge Leslie Abrams Gardner from the U.S. District Court of Georgia, a graduate of Brown and Yale and sister to Stacey Abrams. And Judge J. Michelle Childs of the U.S. District Court of South Carolina, a graduate of the University of South Carolina Law. She has the backing of Biden's close ally, Senator Jim Clyburn. Speaking to a divided country that is being tested in so many ways, the justice with a parting message about the future of democracy. It's an experiment that's still going on. And I'll tell you something. You know who will see whether that experiment works? It's you, my friend. It's that next generation and the one after that. My grandchildren and their children. They'll determine whether the experiment still works. And of course, I am an optimist and I'm pretty sure it will. Isn't it amazing we're even having that conversation? Very gracious. I mean, he, the interesting thing is that uh, for most Americans, that's probably the first time they've heard Stephen Breyer's voice. Yeah, that's true. You know, and and you hear him as this very grandfatherly, very humane and scholarly guy. It's also an interesting thing that... that can you speak up just a little bit, John? I sure can. Yeah. Yeah. It's also an interesting thing that, that in his exit, there's been a deeper examination of what he contributed to the court. And, and... You know, I, we don't cover the courts very well in America. We don't we don't do a very good job of, of examining how they really operate or the dynamics within them. But what becomes clear as Breyer begins his exit process is that he was, in many senses, the partner of John Roberts, the Chief Justice, in that it was Breyer who tried to find the compromises, even as the court was moving to the right. Um, and Roberts was open to that because he had at least some concern about the reputation of the court. But I don't think there's any question. Breyer's in good health. He's, he's a very functional guy. Um, and I'm not sure he is necessarily responding solely um, to the pressure for him to step down from folks who, who wanted to make sure a Democratic president filled that role. I do believe uh, that he looked at the dynamics of the court and basically determined that his brand of uh, service, that which tried to find the compromises, tried to find some middle ground, uh, just wouldn't function on this court anymore because it has an extreme right-wing majority. Well, uh, it is interesting. Uh, you know, by the way, I, I heard Mike Barnacle tell a very interesting story of how Breyer got to the court. Evidently, Ted Kennedy wanted President Carter to pick Archibald Cox, for a federal judgeship. Carter said no. And then, because Breyer worked on the Judiciary Committee, was a staffer, uh, they came to that choice. But then Carter lost, and Strom Thurmond talked Ronald Reagan into pushing this through anyway. And they did it. I mean, the weird thing about Breyer is, you know, that, that he was able to get approved in, you know, pretty contentious moments and pretty complex moments. And it was largely because he was just highly respected as, as you know, what we're talking about, a guy who, who actually was, in many senses, a judge of another era. You know, a guy who really did see the judiciary as a, a place where you kind of, you worked within a group, you created a group dynamic, and, and tried to actually sort things out. The other thing about Breyer that's really important, and certainly this probably wasn't something that Strom Thurmond was excited about, was that he emerged as, in one way, perhaps the most radical member of the high court. 
and that is that he was the strongest believer and the most ardent advocate of the view that the Constitution was not set in stone, that the founders intended the, uh, the courts to reinterpret, to extend, to adjust to changing times. And he argued very, very passionately uh, throughout his career that uh, the idea of, you know, a, you know, original intent and, you know, a precedent extending from 1787 uh, was wrong, that the founders actually didn't want uh, the future jurists, future congresses, uh, to just follow the Constitution uh, blindly. Well, yeah, he, he's spoken quite eloquently. It's like, we're, you know, there's problems that need to be fixed, and people are counting on us to solve these problems. These are practical things that are going on in people's lives. Think how horrified he was. One of the last votes he'll take is where he lost in the the conservative majority throughout President Biden's uh, mandate on vaccination. I know. It, it, this is, this is, it isn't just wrong, which of course it is, but it's, it's almost uh, childish at this point. Well, we've seen that with our state Supreme Court as well. Well, our state Supreme Court, <laughs> with all due respect, flies. Not not an institution that you talk about in the context of, of courts anymore. Let, let me let me tell you, it, it took every I saw justice, quote unquote, Rogan sack at the uh, doctor's office a couple weeks ago, and it's it's a good thing that I'm a much calmer, more decent man than I was 15 years ago. It is true because I kept my composure and didn't say anything. But she had a very nice mink coat on. Sorry, I digress. No, but, I mean, look, let's digress for one more second and say that these people are horrible hypocrites, right? Um, Rogan Sack and, and the other you know, conservative judges on the Wisconsin Supreme Court went out of their way to you know, socially distance themselves from the process. They, were, they, were, they jumped at the chance to do Zoom sessions and, and you know, not to have court in person because they knew it was unsafe, Right. But then they threw out uh, mass mandate. You know, they threw out you know efforts by Tony Evers to protect Wisconsin. You rem- uh, do you remember when bunch. patients said that the the people working in the meatpacking plant in Green Bay weren't regular people? Yeah, I, I that <laughs> remember is, that one. Yeah, that that one. But you know the truth is that for Rogan Sack, um, and I know we don't want to deviate too far, but she's always saved by the fact that Rebecca Bradley is on the court. Because whatever <laughs> right. dumb thing Rogan Sachs says, Bradley will jump in and, and take it to a, a whole other level. Yeah. Well, she uh, she pretended that she was going to be a moderating force on the court, and that obviously didn't come to fruition. Uh-uh. All right. Uh, former U.S. Senator Russ Feingold was on with Ari Melber uh, the day before yesterday, and they talked a little bit about the situation that we're in right now. I mean, obviously, you have to go to the people that have been the most challenging, and you have to get a clear commitment early on and make them stick to it. And that's not an easy thing to do, but you don't wait around. Uh, And I have a feeling that uh, these two senators that were extremely unhelpful on some critical issues might want to make themselves well uh, in terms of their relationship within the Democratic caucus. And I I think that I feel good about the possibility of that working. But Biden has to make that his top priority. I think that's right. I think they know they're going to lose, and I think people like Graham may well decide that this is not one to fight on. And let's not forget, as wonderful as a moment as this may be, 
as we finally break this ridiculous and horrible barrier to not have an African-American woman on the Supreme Court. This isn't enough. This doesn't change the balance. What they did, Lindsey Graham was part of it, was steal two seats on the Supreme Court. And they have locked in a situation where this new justice will have to be there with two other people, and they're going to have to wait and wait to be able to really affect the law and protect the constitutional rights and the rule of law in this country. And so uh, we have to remind ourselves of that, of how they abuse the process. What I'm most excited about, Ari, is that this president, this Senate, Richard Durbin, the chairman of the committee, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, will show the country once again how this process is properly and fairly done instead of the outrageous theft that occurred when McConnell and Trump pulled that stunt. That's very important, not just for the Senate. It's important for the Supreme Court to be legitimate, that the process be legitimate. So I am pleased that that will happen. All right. So your thoughts on the senator's statement? I, I wish I wish he was the senator. Um, oh, you don't you don't think Ron Johnson's doing a good job? Uh, you, Ron John, you know you do you know Ron Johnson's reaction to this was uh, without without knowing anything about who the nominee would be um, except the indications that it will almost certainly it will certainly be a black woman. Um, he said, "Oh, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to vote against whoever it is." <laughs> I mean, it's just like. Uh, there, there's not even an effort to to serve as a functional U.S. senator on the part of Ron Johnson. But as regards to what Russ Feingold said, I think he's absolutely right, and I think this is a big deal. Um, this the decision of Breyer to step down at this point uh, actually does give Biden a chance for a, a to get a, a good judge on the Supreme Court, but b also for something of a reset. Because uh, I think Russ Feingold is right. I think that Manchin and Cinema, both of whom have voted for several of the prospective nominees, uh, are very likely to, to come quickly into the circle here. And I also think that there is a chance that, uh, done right, you can get uh, Murkowski, Romney, potentially Susan Collins, maybe even one or two more. So you can actually approve... I don't know about Romney, but... Well, Romney is sort of, you know, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. He's complicated, but, but at least he's within the realm of reason here, and he's certainly been willing to split with McConnell on things. Bottom line is that there's a real possibility here to get a Supreme Court of Justice, uh, Justice approved um, with 52, 53, maybe even 54 votes. That's an incredible thing in this moment, and, and frankly... Uh, what Biden ought to do is move very, very quickly, seize this moment. Don't don't let it get lost. Um, and Schumer should move quickly as well. This nominee should be nominated, uh, approved by the committee, and confirmed by the Senate. I would argue by you know sometime in, in March, uh, well before Breyer steps down, uh, so that the the thing doesn't drag out and you don't have what has happened on so many issues for this administration, that they started out strong on voting rights, on Build Back Better and other things, and then over time sort of lost the thread. Mm, Sounds like health (laughs) care. Yeah, I mean, the list gets pretty long. Right. No, obviously the the longer that process went, the more it hurt. All right, we'll take a break. John Nichols from the Capital Times with us at SlyceOffice.com. 
I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep SlyOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date, whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlyOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. We're back at SlyOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at Madison Computer Works and also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. Joining us again, John Nichols, Associate Editor of the Capital Times and Correspondent for The Nation. Uh, Let's briefly talk a little bit about some of the contenders for the court uh, federal judge Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, Leandra Kruger, who's on the California Supreme Court, uh, J. Michelle Childs, who's a, a federal judge in South Carolina, who does not have, uh, he, she does not have an Ivy League education and is a, obviously a confidant of uh, Jim Clyburn. Who do you think is most likely to get picked? Oh, you know, that's a, it, we're getting into a little bit of speculation here, but, you know, my sense is, that uh, it's probably, and, and I say this with a, you know, obviously, uh, an understanding that that there's going to actually be meetings between, uh, you know, Biden and the potential nominees. Maybe, a, but I think that uh, Katenji, uh Brown Jackson is is undoubtedly the front runner at this point. She's got uh, a the perfect resume. I mean, served in all the all the right places, achieved at the highest level all along the way. But B, she's been approved by uh, the Senate with some Republican votes, and, and so and, and in relatively recent times. And, and my sense is that that gives her a real advantage. I, I think that, that, you know, much the same can be said for, uh, you know, Judge Kruger, for, for several of these others. So at, at the end of the day, you've got a pretty good uh, a, be- a good bench there, for lack of a better term. And um, I, what I think will happen is that Biden will look at uh, a number of people. I think he'll have several come in so that there's actually a sense of a, of a you know, deliberation, if you will, some consideration. And here's the big deal, Sly. Yeah, you don't want a Harriet Meyer situation. No, yeah, exactly. Hey, how about I drop that out of clear blue air, right? <laughs> right, and, and, and a disaster, right? Because, you know, as George W. Bush, he just looked around and said, oh, I guess you could be on the court, you know? And, and you know, so I think they'll bring people in. But, but there's another reason for that, Sly, because there are contending camps here. There's no question that Jim Clyburn would like uh, you know, Judge Childs to, to be in the, in the running. Uh, and so you can't not talk to her, right? You can't pay attention. Um, and so there's value in... You know, having that sense that you're you are indeed looking at all of them and giving them serious consideration. So, one other thing that I think is important here is that bringing the potential candidates or the candidates into the White House, having it be relatively high profile, raises their stature. And so, he will pick someone, but he will also set people up uh, for potential future picks. And so, well, Breyer obviously was uh, in the running when. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was picked. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. And I would mention that so was Shirley Abrahamson. 
uh, from Wisconsin. And, and so in, in the scheme of things, uh, you can raise the stature of a potential justice and maybe put them in a position where they might be picked at some other point. You can also raise the stature of someone who may never be on the Supreme Court, but uh, they will for the rest of their lives be, you know, considered for the Supreme Court, which you know, means, a, means a good deal in legal circles. All right. Let, we talked about Ron Johnson earlier. Uh, <laughs> we, we've had an interesting week in politics with Kevin Nicholson getting into the governor's race and <laughs> Rebecca, yep. Rebecca Clayfish clearly is irritated. Oh my God. Did you see her on TV last night? She was not happy about this. <laughs> and, and by the way, I mean, this is, I, I just hate to see this happen, John. There's going to be all that fighting. Yeah. And you really hope Eric Hovey doesn't get in too. <laughs> um, but no, this is an interesting thing about this. And, and I'm, uh, I think I, it's pretty fair to say I disagree with Nicholson on everything. Um, but I, I sort of enjoy what's going on here. And I don't mean it just from some sort of partisan or ideological standpoint. Uh, they tried to keep him out, right? You literally had Robin Boss, who is, you know, the boss of the party, I guess, in Wisconsin to some extent, um, saying... No, no, he is the Republican version of Michael Madigan. Yeah, he, really. <laughs> only without Madigan's, you know, style and grace. Um, <laughs> And 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 Voss might be a little more corrupt than Madigan, but other than that, yeah. okay, yeah. And 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 Madigan's intellect, and, yeah. You know, okay, yeah. But yeah, with all that said, um, Voss really tried to keep Nicholson out. He he basically specifically said, "Don't get in," right? You also had the establishment of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it saying, you know, don't we don't want a primary. We well, want a lot of people said those things to Lee Dreyfus back in nineteen seventy seven and eight. That's exactly right, and so. Nicholson looked at him and said, you know, screw you, I'm getting in. And uh, there's two things that extend from that. Number one, uh, that is a, an important message about the sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, chaos in the Republican Party of Wisconsin at this point. It's pulling in a lot of different directions, and Boss has plenty of battles in the Assembly right now. Uh, but it also, I, I think, is likely to speak to... Uh, not just primary voters, but maybe even beyond that. You know, the idea of being somebody who got in at odds with your own party. I think there's a da- I think there's a danger for Tony Evers if Nicholson uh, plays his I'm cards saying. right. Yeah, right. No, no, no. It's the uh, it's the outsider thing. And if it's played right, and I'm not saying that it will be played right, and and I've seen Nicholson stumble. Yeah, he's before. not particularly swift, but no, I yeah. I, I get your point yeah. uh, because. Uh, frankly, uh, Rebecca Clayfish has some baggage from the Walker years. I mean, the whole Foxconn, yeah. the whole Foxconn thing, and then didn't she get that coupon place? <laughs> coupon <Sorry>. cabin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also the union busting. I've had uh, a lot of people in the building trade say to me, you know, uh, we've got we've got guys that vote for Evers and they vote for Trump uh, because they would they would never vote for. Scott Walker, because he's a union buster. Right. And we kind of forget about these people, but they're there. Well, that's exactly right. And, and I think um, it's important to, to understand that, that Nicholson has played this in a very interesting way. He's certainly got the Elon money behind him. Although apparently, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Elon... It's split. Uh, they're a split household. <laughs> yeah. But uh, with that said, I, I think the, the 
evidence is that Mr. Uline is very willing to spend a lot of money. And, Something tells um, me his checking account's just a little bigger. I don't know. I can't say, but what I can tell you is that I don't think Kevin Nicholson's going to have a money problem in this race. And I also think that for Republican primary voters, remember, we're, this is because there's a big Senate primary on the Democratic side. There isn't going to be any crossover here. People are going to go in there in their lane. No, because there's a, well, yeah, first there isn't much crossover, period, but yeah. the Democrats are going to be busy with their own. Right. Right. So there's no, everybody's going to be in their lane. So this is going to be Republican primary voters. And, and most people, many people listening to this podcast will not be aware that for the last, I don't know, like six months, I think it's with Uline Money, uh, Kevin Nicholson has been all over right-wing talk radio with ads where he's talking about, you know, critical race theory and immigration and all sorts of other stuff. And it's sort of like Paul Harvey things, you know, where he's like you know, commenting on the news and stuff. Not as a guest on these shows, but in a heavy-duty, you know, wall-to-wall advertising campaign. So I would argue that a lot of likely Republican primary voters know Kevin Nicholson as well as they know Rebecca Clayfish. All right, let's uh, talk about what Ron Johnson said this week. This is from WKO. Which of the what he said? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> he had like ten controversies. Well, let's we'll pick this. We'll, we'll pick this one here. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to defend this. I think the decision to have a child is probably the most important decision you can possibly have. I, I don't think it should be controversial to say that parents should have the primary responsibility for taking care of their children. Senator Johnson says he also does not want any more programs that would add to the national deficit. The Democratic Party of Wisconsin says that's inconsistent with Johnson's vote in support of the 2017 tax cut bill, which added nearly $2 trillion to the national deficit. You know, this guy could be the most out-of-touch person in the world. You know, he's, uh, the thing about Ron Johnson is uh, that you just look at him and you're thinking, I don't think this is somebody I want to get parenting advice from. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and listen to him and, and he removes all doubt. I mean, you, you realize he did this in the context of a week in which um, he held a hearing where he had vaccine, you know, like denialists and skeptics and stuff like that. Um, he, you know, he literally stepped into about 10 different controversies. But this is the one that will resonate uh, because it seems so deeply insensitive. And the fact of the matter is, it's not a liberal or conservative thing. There has, has very long been a sense that, uh, that there is a role for government in making sure that, you know, moms with kids and, and you know, kids who are maybe in somewhat difficult situations can get some support and help. That's not a... Well, I will tell you, it is how Pierre, by Pierre, it is how Justin Trudeau got reelected. Yes, you're totally right. And, and, and I'll even give you a conservative uh, example. Helmut Kohl in Germany, uh, who is quite conservative, uh, although liberal by American standards, but, but certainly a, a conservative leader of Germany. One of his big initiatives was to provide a tremendous amount of support for um, young families and uh, and for children, because he wanted Germans to have kids. You know, he was actually well. And it. it's interesting you bring that up because if you look at the census from 2020, Wisconsin's got a real problem, and there are a lot of people holding back having children because they can't afford they daycare. Cannot afford it. It's literally depriving the state of a future. 
And I will tell you another thing where I think Ron Johnson is frankly out of touch with capitalists on this because I think any forward-looking CEO knows this is a problem for them, too. Oh, yeah. Look, and I mean, this is one of the areas where you actually find some, not, not sufficient, but some common ground. And, and so I, when I look at, at Ron Johnson stepping out in this way, I, you know, this is the interesting thing about him. He is, love him or hate him, he's untethered. I mean, he really does. He says what comes into his mind at, at any particular moment. And then he tries to clean it up. I mean, when Listerine points out that they are not, you know, the cure for COVID or something like that, he, he'll say, well, I wasn't really saying it. I was just speculating. I was just offering, you know, one side of the discussion or something like that. But the fact of the matter is that there's sort of a constant, uh, a constant either misstep, or if it isn't a misstep, then, then actual exposure of what goes on in Ron Johnson's head. Well, because he lives in the talk radio bubble, so he just talks to these right-wing talk show hosts all day. He's literally on their programs numerous times every week. He's yeah. like a regular, he's like doing a running monologue on these shows. Well, I don't know when he has time to be a senator, but he literally is on the radio all the time. Right. I mean, look, he has, he has clearly developed, and I've got a piece up actually, The Nation, about this, um, that, that his re-election strategy is to make the base, his base, so feverish, right, so excited that they're going to show up, you know, you know, two hours before dawn on election day, right? He's clearly, that's his aim. And one imagines that as you get closer to the November election, you know, if he doesn't get beaten in the Republican primary, um, but that, by the way, is a joke. Um, but as he gets closer to the November election, he'll try to moderate his image to some extent. But... Right now, oh, is he going to do that diaper trick again? Well, you know, or the, you know the thing about where he, he talks about how concerned he is about Milwaukee and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's a, with a little fireplace behind him and, and the whole bit. I mean, it's but the bottom line is Republicans got to reelect him, right? So he's operating on a theory now. It looks like to just you know kind of gin that base up to a level to a fever pitch, and particularly with vaccine skepticism stuff like that. But then at a certain point, I assume, he's counting on the national Republican, you know, donors in the party to come in and, and just wall the wallet in a way that, um, that he remains viable. But i got to tell you, I, I, I genuinely think that he is saying and doing things that over time pile up to a, an argument against him. Well, if if you look at how he, even for mainstream, you know, or, you he, know, he was a he was a relatively low profile first term senator, as yeah. most first term senators are. Since then, he has become very high profile, and usually for the wrong reasons. And if you look at the voters that put him over the top, they were women in Waukesha, oh, yeah. Waukesha County, that. Didn't vote for Trump, but they voted for Ron Johnson because he was just the generic Republican candidate. Well, he's not just a generic Republican candidate anymore. He is someone who has, frankly, and I, maybe you'll disagree with me, I think he is far more extreme than Donald Trump. Donald Trump at least encourages people to get vaccinated and, and you know, to get their booster shot. Ron Johnson is running somewhere to the right of Joe Rogan. No, I, I'll tell you, well, it's a nice line. 
Um, uh, I will tell you, he is definitely running to the right of Joe Rogan. There's no question of that. But um, my sense is that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to attack his intelligence. But um, <laughs> uh, let me just say that I'm not sure that Ron Johnson has particularly good political instincts. He's been very, very lucky in how he's been kind of, you know, he's, the cycles that he's run mm-hmm. have been lucky cycles for him. Um, and, uh, but at, at heart, I don't think he's ever really fully understood how to do politics. Now, it's been good to him. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I think when Trump came along, he said, well, that makes sense to me. I, I you know, I, I like that, just, you know, saying whatever comes into your head thing. And I like, you know, this sort of like, like stirring it up in this kind of way. And so I think he, in many ways, tries to be a, a variation on Trump, right, a, a Wisconsin variation. But as is often the case, he goes, he goes further. He goes to extremes uh, because he gets reinforcement. Remember, this is a guy kind of exploring how to do his politics. He gets a reinforcement when he goes on right-wing talk radio right. shows. That's right. It will be fun to watch. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation. Thanks for joining us at Sly's Office today. I'm always honored to be with you. Sly'sOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.